Today on Retired Bros, Bros and Alcohol, with special guest William Porter, author of Alcohol Explained, available on Amazon. We're beta testing the bump music. The bump music is being tested. First up, I asked retired bros the following question. What do retired bros think of alcohol in their 30s? No more beer. Tore my stomach really? in pieces. Yeah. You remember the yeah. movie The Revenant? Yeah. That's what my stomach is like on beer when the grizzly bear attacks the guy from the red. Why no? <laughs> why no? Why no beer? It takes me uh, 24 beers to get wasted, and then I'm so damn yeah. bloated and full. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, this is me now. I mean, you know, 10 years mm -hmm. ago, I would have said, "Let's drink a 30 pack of Keystone Lights tonight." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I, now I'm just like, oh, it just makes you so bloated. As we uh, as we age with beauty, it gets a lot easier not drinking because I don't know about you, but the, the next day and the effects just they're not worth it. I got more to do with my time than than nurse a hangover or be dehydrated. What uh, what about uh, alcohol? I, I I feel I'm disappointed that it was such a big role in our life, especially early mm -hmm. on. I think mm -hmm. um, I could have done better in college, better in high school. I could have. Probably have a few more brain cells at this point. I, I know mm -hmm. it, it slows me down the next day and a little bit the day after. Um, mm -hmm. I wish there's a part of me that wishes I, I was, you know, just went cold, dropped, uh, went cold turkey and stopped drinking today. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's mm -hmm. this social element that's so enjoyable um, mm -hmm. where you're, you know, sitting around having just a couple scotches with a friend or a, mm -hmm. somebody pops up with a nice bottle of wine where, yeah. um, I, so I'm not at home, like, crushing beers or, you know, uh, going out with the guys and, and just getting drunk mm -hmm. to get drunk. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I do slow, feel It's slowed down. It's slowed down probably tremendously since we've... But, but, I, but I think we wasted time by being so focused on, like, <laughs> beer that we probably mm -hmm. missed out on opportunities to, like, learn about coding or get pick up some, like, cool hobby, uh, you know, kiteboarding, I, I don't know, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. do something more, go camping. Like, dude, how many times mm -hmm. have we been camping? Socially, going to bars is, like, the thing that people do. It's where you congregate, even, you know, adult mm -hmm. life. You go mm -hmm. for a couple of drinks or something. It is kind of a crutch, like, to be in those mm -hmm. awkward social settings, whether you're in your... Mm -hmm. Early twenties or your forties, mm -hmm. it's yeah to have to have something to do with your hand. You know, it's kind of that, it 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 really is. It's like you can't just yeah, stand there yeah. and talk to people. You kind of need to have a, a prop. You, you can't you can't hang like you used to, but sometimes you really want to. But then you have uh, mm -hmm. have more responsibilities. Because even you know what's interesting is like obviously college. You're that's your probably your peak, bro. You know, you're you're partying the most, but mm -hmm. 
I mean, I would venture to say that people just out of college might be partying almost as much because one, you actually have, mm-hmm. you had some money to spend. <laughs> you mm-hmm. aren't like, you know, you're making, you're more than likely making some kind of an income. Um, but two, you also probably have a kind of like a crappy entry level job. Like how many times do we go, you know, like go into work on a Friday, like, you know, maybe under the weather, like we felt more, <laughs> we felt better about it because we knew our responsibilities weren't that great. You know what I'm saying? Drinking and partying in your 20s is common, but why do we drink so much? What is the effect of alcohol? I bring in William Porter, author of the book Alcohol Explained, to discuss. He joined us from his home in London. From a fairly basic level, there's too many people in the world addicted to alcohol mm-hmm. for it just to be some kind of weird insanity that they all suffer from. So, to my right. mind, there has to be a more rational explanation to it. And that's what I was hoping or hoped to do in writing Alcohol Explained, which is provide that explanation of really how alcohol is addictive, why it's addictive, mm. and just up all those little anomalies we have with it into some sort of hopefully accessible format. Well, I thought you did that uh, beautifully, and I think you're not alone. I think there's millions of uh, people um, across the world that might not necessarily put themselves in the category of alcoholic, and we it gets introduced into our lives at uh, a young age. Uh, many of us in our teen teenage years, and Absolutely. so I, yeah. And I just wanted to understand, you know, about the drug. And the more I read about it, the more it's kind of like a drug that you really don't want to be on. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I've actually the book has helped me switch my mindset for for alcohol. Um, but I think you say explain a little bit about tolerance and. The people, people usually, this is a, a myth, but people think the more that they drink, the better that they can handle it, uh, the better that they can handle a drug, the drug. And you appropriately say in the book, the liver is not a muscle. That's right. Yeah. So, so that point is a, is a very good one because tolerance is really how much you are capable of drinking at any one time. Mm-hmm. And what we know is, and I think everyone would would accept this, is is over the years you are you can tolerate more and more alcohol, you can drink more and more of it. Um, but what I think a lot of people don't do is really follow that logic on and and see where it ends up. Mm-hmm. Um, because what we know, and and again, a lot of this, the science behind it, it, it we're not at a state of final and absolute knowledge because we're talking about the human brain. Um, the human brain is massively complicated, mm-hmm. and even brain surgeons and the you know the most eminent people in their fields don't fully understand the human brain and how it works and how it all operates and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. But what we do know now about the human brain is it it creates and excretes a massive array of chemicals, drugs, and hormones. Um, 
And that is essentially really what keeps us alive. Without the, those, mm-hmm. our bodies just wouldn't operate. Um, we don't even have, as as a human race, the a complete list of all the chemicals, drugs, and hormones that it creates and it excretes. Let alone, do we fully understand how they all interact with one another? Because if you think about it, there's this myriad of different chemicals in your brain. Mm. Um, they all act in cohesion with one another to to keep what people call homeostasis, and that's a sort of a delicate internal balance. Mm. Um, so we don't have all that detail, but I think you don't necessarily need the you know the nitty gritty detail to understand alcohol and how it affects us, particularly with relation to tolerance. All you really need to do is to understand that there is this incredibly complicated process going on in your brain, which mm-hmm. is essentially a balancing act of all the chemicals, drugs and hormones. Um, so if you put that to one side, then move on to alcohol, because obviously when we're looking at tolerance to alcohol, we're looking at two things. We're looking at the human and, and the drug alcohol. Mm-hmm. So keep in, in mind that what we've discussed about the human brain, alcohol ex- itself is a, is a depressant. Um, and when I use the term depressant, I'm using it in its strictly chemical sense, which is something that depresses or inhibits nerve activity. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's why for many years it it was used as an anesthetic. It, it essentially does exactly that. It stops nerves from working. Um, and that's why a lot of the time if you're stressed or unhappy and you have a drink, it seems to confer an actual benefit because it's just it's dampening down the nerves that you're feeling at that particular time. Now, what happens is when you drink alcohol, you're taking on what is essentially a fairly powerful chemical depressant. Mm-hmm. So your brain takes steps to counter it. Don't forget your brain wants to maintain this delicate balance. Um, and it can't do because there's now a strong depressant in your system. So what your brain does, it, it's very complicated from a chemical perspective, but essentially it's boosting up the stimulant side of your brain to counteract the depressant side of it. Um, there's lots and lots and lots of drugs in the world that do all kinds of different things. But it's helpful for the purposes of this to divide them into stimulants and depressants. Obviously, as we discussed, alcohol is a depressant. It depresses you. It calms things down. Mm-hmm. Stimulants, on the other hand, liven you up. They increase nerve activity. So what the brain does when it, when it encounters alcohol, it increases the stimulant side of things to counter the depressive effects of the alcohol, which mm-hmm. is all well and good. But then, of course, the alcohol is... It, eventually wears off on his process through the body and disappears. Mm-hmm. So then you're left with a corresponding overstimulation when the alcohol leaves. Now, the brain has a limited amount of these drugs, chemicals and hormones, but as it uses them regularly, it creates more and more of them. So what happens when you're drinking, as it's constantly having to increase the stimulant side of things to counteract alcohol it creates and excretes more and more and more of these stimulants and that essentially what tolerance is so on day one you may be able to have i don't know say two or three beers and that's your absolute limit you're falling over drunk at that point on 10 years down the line where you can quite happily put away a couple of bottles of wine or you know a bottle of spirits or 10 pints of beer or whatever it is the only change that's occurred is that your brain is more efficient and it's creating more of these stimulants and chemicals to counteract the depressive effects of the alcohol. 
And that's essentially what tolerance is. Mm -hmm. But what's inextricably linked to tolerance is withdrawal. Mm -hmm. Because society sort of has this bizarre view. I think people generally will accept that alcoholics have a withdrawal from alcohol. But what they don't appreciate, it, it, alcohol withdrawal isn't an all or nothing. You, you don't get away scot-free for years and years and years until you develop an alcohol problem. It builds up over time. And what the withdrawal is, it's the period where your brain has released stimulants to counteract the alcohol and the alcohol has le then left your system. So you're left with the increased stimulants that makes you feel anxious and nervous. And in extreme situations, it causes the shakes, which is obviously what people associate with very heavy drinking. But all that is, is the leftover stimulants that then don't have any alcohol to counteract them. Mm -hmm. So in that way, tolerance is directly proportionate to your alcohol withdrawal. The more you can drink, the worse your withdrawal is. And a lot of the time, I think one part of the problem is it's confused with the hangover. People don't feel right the following day after drinking and just chalk it up as a hangover. But a lot of what we experience as a hangover, for me personally, I could drink you know, fairly substantial amounts of alcohol. I didn't feel right the next day, but I didn't have a headache and nausea. I could get up and function. And actually, the reason I felt different to had I, where I had not drunk the night before is because of these massive amounts of stimulants sort of coursing through you, which leave you feel sort of twitched up. Mm. Um, so that's basically it. That's, that's mm. tolerance and how it links to withdrawal. So essentially for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And I think for every feeling, and you mentioned this in the book, of react, uh, relaxation that a drink will give you, there's a corresponding feeling of anxiety. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that sums it up perfectly. And of course, it... I mean, it, does, it doesn't just end there because you might be thinking, oh, well, that's fair enough. You know, I'll, I'll have the pleasure now and then there's a corresponding feeling of anxiety afterwards. But of course, alcohol also affects sleep and all the rest of it. So it's not that you have, say, plus five from alcohol and then a minus five. You actually have minus a lot more than that because of the way it interferes with sleep and um, mm -hmm. health generally. Talk about the mind and the body uh, kind of relationship, um, because you mentioned, speaking of sleep, that maybe after a, a long night of drinking, um, people wake up the next day, feel hungover, um, and they're, they are no longer uh, mentally drunk. Um, they have the leftover uh, chemicals in their brain. Uh, trying to survive the uh, attack of alcohol on them, and uh, but their body. Uh, many people get um, in the states; they get um, DUIs, uh, driving while under the influence uh, tickets and citations the next morning because their body is not caught up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that that's I think another um, sort of key point where if you're trying to sort of unravel alcohol. It's something that's worth digging into in a lot more detail, because I think, again, people completely accept that you can you can get DUIs um, for 
the following day and a lot of certainly here in the UK there's 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 been quite a big campaign to try and educate people that just because you've gone home and slept doesn't mean that you're then safe to drive the following day mm. and you can still be under the influence of alcohol and incapable of driving safely the following morning after drinking and I think most people accept that and they're fairly comfortable with it but I think where it gets interesting if you then factor in that people don't feel drunk and that's the key thing mm -hmm. so you know if you pop out after work or something or sit down of an evening and have two or three drinks you feel the relaxation from it you feel intoxicated and you also feel relaxed but the following morning you have the intoxication without the feeling of relaxation and I think that is a very stark um, reminder that when we're talking about the effects of alcohol, we generally just think of it as, yes, you get drunk and it's a nice fuzzy feeling. But actually, they're two very different processes. The feeling of relaxation and the feeling of intoxication, we need to separate them out and think of them separately. And as we can see from the driving under the influence example, the intoxication outlasts the feeling of relaxation. So if you have a drink or two drinks or three drinks or whatever it might make you feel relaxed for half an hour an hour but it's going to leave you intoxicated for three four or five hours um, and that's one of the key things why people end up so often drinking so much because they might go out of an evening and they feel slightly nervous because they're in company um, so they take a drink and that drink takes the edge off it so they feel much better and then in half an hour that drink's worn off, so they need another one, but the intoxication hasn't worn off. So when they take that second drink, they're one drink relaxed, but two drinks intoxicated. And then another few minutes goes by, and that the, the really relaxation of that drink wears off, so they take another one, and then they're one drink relaxed and three drinks intoxicated. And as the evening wears on, they become increasingly intoxicated as they're constantly chasing that feeling of relaxation. And again, that ties in very much so to what we've already discussed about when alcohol wears off, it doesn't wear off leaving you feeling as you did before. It wears off leaving a corresponding feeling of anxiety. So a lot of people end up getting drunk because they go out, they have a drink, it makes them intoxicated and relaxed but then the relaxation wears off leaving a corresponding feeling of anxiety which is not a pleasant feeling mm -hmm. so they take another drink to get rid of that feeling of anxiety and chase that feeling of relaxation and while they're doing that they're becoming increasingly intoxicated mm -hmm. that's why it's so common for, for people to get unstuck with alcohol mm -hmm. uh, to end up drunk when they don't mean to be i think that's brilliant and you have a, a you mentioned that in the book that um, there's almost like sub, it becomes like subconscious triggers, yes, and cravings for uh, for for a drink, and then yes. that's how you kind of get in a into a loop. Exactly. Yeah. Talk about the effects on the uh, limbic system and the control of our emotions. I think a lot of people. Uh, sometimes say, well, the truth comes out when you're drunk. <laughs> yeah. um, and you say, you kind of debunk that and say, that's not really true. No. So what we need to remind ourselves, and I think where that the truth comes out with, when you're drunk, 
is for years people have accepted that alcohol lowers inhibitions. So the idea being, I don't like that person over there, but I would, I'm far too inhibited to ever tell them that as soon as I'm drunk, I'll go over and start having a go at them. Um, but it doesn't actually work that way at all. Alcohol has a particularly strong effect, a depressive effect on the front part of the brain, which is the limbic system. Now that does numerous things, but one of the most important things it does is regulate our emotion. Now, emotion is an interesting thing. How people think it works is an emotion is triggered and then regulated. So it's almost like a firework going up, but most of the time it doesn't need to fly up and explode. It can be regulated so it stops before it gets out of control. So, and I think I give this example in the book, but if you sort of, you're in a hurry and you knock a glass over or something and break it, you, you, you immediately feel anger, but you're in a hurry, you haven't got time to clear it up. There's no point getting furious about it and start smashing the whole house up, that achieves nothing. So the, that feeling is very quickly regulated. Um, now what alcohol does, because it affects the limbic system, which regulates your emotion, when you're drinking, you cease to be able to regulate emotion. So any emotion that is triggered, the more drunk you are, the more likely it is to just run unchecked. Now that's not the truth coming out, that's your brain being incapable of working as it should do. So to go back to the example, um, the chap over there, I don't actually mind him at all, but now I'm drunk, there's something absolutely minor about him that irritates me. And instead of my brain sensibly regulating that emotion, so it's almost just a passing thought that goes nowhere, it just runs unchecked and you become increasingly angry and aggressive. Um, and that's why there's such a huge relationship between alcohol and violence and violent crime. I mean, for years over here in the UK, we've, we've had, I mean, it's, the police are sort of combating it much better now, but football violence and people going out to watch football um, and fighting, and, and that's almost exclusively triggered by alcohol. Um, and, and again, and this is a hangover from the, I think, the First World War, when the munitions um, workers, government wanted the munitions workers, understandably, not to be drunk and hungover at work. So they introduced licensing laws, so all the pubs shut at 11, which sounds mm. very good, it stops people drinking late. But what you actually end up with is pubs turning out at 11 o'clock, particularly on the weekends, and just loads of drunk people spilling into the streets and fighting each other. But all of this just comes about from, from you know, the, the relation between alcohol and anger and aggression. Mm. Um, and it can, be, it can be any emotion that runs untriggered. So mm. that's why sometimes when you're drinking, you find something absolutely hilarious that you wouldn't ordinarily find that funny. It's just that emotion runs unchecked. Mm. But the problem is, as we've discussed before, as the alcohol wears off, it creates sort of an anxious, tense feeling. And that's much more conducive to negative emotions like anger and, and upset and all the rest of it. So although it is possible to get onto a good high with drinking where you start to find things really funny and hilarious, most of the time it doesn't work like that. Most of the time people get teary and regretful or angry or violent. Mm -hmm. And so it, it tends to trigger off these much more negative emotions. And the interesting thing there is 
quite often a, a, a drinking session is triggered by an emotion. Like I've just had a bad day at work or I've had an argument with my partner or I've got financial problems and I'm upset and angry about them or whatever. So you take a drink to take the edge off it. Now, the interesting thing is that drink will take the edge off that emotion in the first instance because it's a depressant, a chemical depressant. But as that will very quickly wear off. So then you need to take another drink to, again, take the edge off that feeling. But as you become increasingly intoxicated and as the limbic system is affected more and more, that emotion that you're trying to get rid of in the first place is actually getting worse and worse and worse. And that's how we end up with that strange situation where sort of as a society, we immediately reach for a drink to take the edge off an emotion. Mm-hmm. But we so very much associate drunkenness with, you know, people p- crying into their drinks and calling up exes at three in the morning and getting into fights with people. You say, I want to talk a little bit about alcohol and disease. And, and you say it's kind of, um, you, you talk about the disease theory of alcoholism. And you say really uh, beautifully, when people start drinking, they find that they can control it and they can stop when they want to. Therefore, they think they are clearly not an alcoholic and can drink with impunity. Yeah, yeah. And I think, to be fair, that's that's something that very much um, was one of the cause of my problems in that right. originally a fairly fixed view of what an alcoholic was um, and followed along with society's view that you were either alcoholic or you weren't alcoholic. And if you weren't, that's fine. You're, you know, you're good to go. So I, I just drank whenever I wanted to, which was often and quite regularly. Um, and that's how you get problems with it. So I think that's, that's in one way how this view that there is a, you know, a, a genetic alcoholic. Um, and if you're right. not a genetic alcoholic, you're fine, is so destructive because that's how people get into problems in the first place. I think if people understood a bit more that, you know, just as your t- tolerance builds up, the more you drink, the worse the withdrawal and all the rest of it. To understand that, it might temper people's drinking to begin with. And and I think you're spot on because I think there's just millions of people that are become that become conditioned to it. And you know, like I said, we're we're introduced to it at such a young age, and. Um, by the time, I mean, by the time we, we graduate from colleges and universities, uh, we've been drinking for maybe four to six years to eight years, uh, even longer. And we uh, try to kind of continue that. And uh, there's all these social and societal pressures to um, that it's a normal to uh, continue to drink. And by the time you uh, sometimes wake up, you're kind of a bundle of nerves and you don't understand why there's, you're subconsciously reaching for a drink. And um, I think that's the kind of um, epidemic at large scale that's, that is uh, in front of us right now. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, and again, going back to the, the point about tolerance and withdrawal, I think what you what we need to bear in mind is a lot of people think they're drinking at safe or at least respectable levels by having, I don't know, two or three drinks an evening. Mm-hmm. But what we need to bear in mind is 
those two or three drinks will have a withdrawal. It mm. might be quite minor um, and you might not consciously recognize it. But when you wake up, you're feeling slightly more tense and slightly more irritable and slightly more anxious than you would otherwise feel. Mm -hmm. And that brings us on to, I think, a very interesting point, because if you think after a drinking session, the stimulant side of your brain is too high. So you feel nervous and anxious because of that. Mm -hmm. The quickest way to redress that balance is to take an alcoholic drink because you're bumping up the depressant side of things. And when you take that depressing drink, that alcohol, um, you don't feel anxious or stressed or nervous anymore. You feel much, much better. But the point there is you're only feeling as good as you would have felt had you never upset that chemical balance in the first place, i.e. had you never had an alcoholic drink. Mm. And in that way, alcohol doesn't actually give you anything it just takes something away and then right. partially withdraws it it makes you feel rotten and then makes you feel normal but the problem is when you're drinking say for example every evening even very minor withdrawals will usually last between 24 and 36 hours so if someone is taking one or two or three drinks every evening all they know of life is either the daytime when they're in the withdrawal or the evening when they relieve that withdrawal and that's their life they're right. constantly they're not drinking they're under par they don't feel as good as they ought to and mm -hmm. when they take a drink they're correcting that balance and feeling good again um, and of course all they take away from that is that alcohol makes them feel good it makes them feel relaxed it makes them feel happy but they miss the key point that it's only doing that by remedying a problem it caused previously and it brings off to that homer simpson quote when he said alcohol the cause and cure of all life's problems and i right. think that sums it up absolutely perfectly it, it cures an unpleasant feeling that it created in the first place I think it's, I think that's absolutely true. And I, I, um, I've stopped drinking. Um, well, your book has helped completely. Um, I didn't go to any kind of program. I just, uh, decided that, uh, my relationship with it wasn't the best. Uh, I didn't, wasn't enjoying it, uh, the way I did. There were some, also some additional issues where I, I saw people who were older than me dealing with it and going through, withdraw um at a much later stage of life and um it took me a couple tries to go a month i said well maybe i can go a month with it and when you kind of get out of that loop your brain becomes much more clear you get kind of like these feelings i haven't had since i was a kid because i haven't gone that long without a drink yeah. Uh, and you kind of get this clarity and this interesting joy uh, with just not drinking. And then um, I had a drink on my birthday and went another month. And then I said, you know what, I might, I'm just going to, my new uh, goal is a year. And I, I don't know right now if I'll, I'll keep, I'll probably keep going. Uh, mm just from sleep, the benefits, um, talk a little bit about the benefits of just not drinking. 
So I and I think you've summed it up perfectly. I think it's one of those things when some people describe it as a secret of great secret of sobriety, and to me that secret is you feel better all the time than you. And I'm not talking about being hungover or tired. I'm talking about even when you're actually drinking. Mm-hmm. I genuinely feel better all the time now than even at that point when I was actually sat down and supposedly enjoying a drink. Um, and I think sleep is an excellent one. Um, So just to touch on sleep briefly, we go through various cycles of sleep. We go through deep sleep, we go through light sleep, we go through REM sleep. They're all crucial stages of sleep. And if you miss out on any stages, you don't feel right. You start to deteriorate pretty rapidly. Um, Again, we don't really understand much about sleep as a human race. It's beyond our comprehension. REM sleep, Again, nobody really knows what it does or why, but they've done tests with rats where they've deprived them of REM sleep and they've been dead within a few weeks. So it's mm. clearly crucial. And the interesting thing about REM sleep, when they put um, sensors on people's brains and record them when they're in REM sleep, it's it's almost like they're awake. The parts of their brain that should be lit up and functioning when they're awake are the ones that are functioning when they're asleep, if you see what I mean. So no one really knows much about it. But I think what you need to bear in mind with sleep is that we go through certain cycles. Now, alcohol completely demolishes those cycles, because as we spoke about, again, going back to how it affects us, when you've got the alcohol inside you, you're overly chemically depressed. So you can't get up into those higher stages of sleep like REM sleep. And of course, when the alcohol wears off, you're overstimulated, so you can't sleep at all, which is why people, when they drink, mostly wake up at three or four in the morning and can't get back to sleep. Um, It's equivalent of sort of waking up and having three or four cups of strong coffee. That's the withdrawal. Now, with sleep, sleep is very much a habit. So if you're drinking regularly and ruining your sleep and you stop day one, you're not going to get better by day two or day three. You need four or five days undisturbed sleep to get Mm -hmm. back into a proper pattern and then depending on how long you haven't slept properly for it can take weeks to then catch up on that lost sleep now for me i never drank every day but i was an increasingly heavy binge drinker Um, and i used to think i used to escape the worst of it because i'd have a few days off and catch up on sleep and all the rest of it Mm -hmm. but what i realized now is i wasn't even touching the sides because you can't even if you just drink friday and saturday you don't get back into a proper sleeping routine in five days let alone catch up on all the lost sleep so for me one of the biggest things about stopping drinking is how good it feels to just be sleeping properly every Mm. night for months and months on end and it's interesting that you mention you you know you you feel like you haven't felt since childhood and Mm it's I've got two young kids and it's just you know they're just happy and, and I read something the other day where the average six-year-old laughs like some I, I forget the figures but it was a few hundred times a day mm-hmm. and the average 40-year-old laughs two times a day or something ridiculous like that mm. but for me it's astounding because you do you feel like you're a child again but what is really an eye-opener is that's how we as human beings are supposed to feel <laughs> this is how we're supposed to experience life it's not supposed to be a drag it's not supposed to be hard work Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the big benefits for me is is just that feeling of sleep and it impacts everything and i think it's hard to know exactly what factors where but you've got the the increased sleep and the better rest 
Now, of course, when you've slept better and you're resting better, you're more likely to be able to exercise. Now, exercise produces endorphins and gets the oxygen rushing around your blood so you feel more awake and happier anyway and of course when you exercise you then sleep better at night so that's sort of like an ongoing ongoing process um that again that assists you in losing weight and i think you know we we tend to think of weight as very much a vanity thing but don't forget if you're carrying around extra you know a few extra pound you're carrying that round with you every day. It's like carrying a heavy sack on your back. It's going to make you feel tired and more washed out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another benefit. You just feel more energetic. Um, playing into that as well, with human beings, we have what's called a maximum heart rate. So for each age, there's a calculation where you can work out the fastest your heart can be. And what we need to bear in mind is the faster your heart's beating, the more your body will tell you to stop down, stop and slow down. So if your heart rate suddenly doubles, your body's going to be saying, stop, slow down, you need to rest. And the more your heart rate goes off, the more um, urgent that feeling becomes that you just want to sit down and rest. Because your brain produces stimulants to counteract the depressant effects of the alcohol, after drinking, your heart rate's accelerated. If people wear Fitbits, it's astounding the difference it makes. You can, if you can visibly see your heart rate accelerating as you're drinking. Um, but don't forget, that means you're just feeling tired all the time. You lose that desire to exercise. And I think that's an astounding thing. A lot of people who sort of hit middle age and they look at people who go running and go to the gym and think, bizarre people but the only reason they can't relate to it is because of the drugs they regularly take like alcohol and nicotine and caffeine that accelerates Mm -hmm. the heart rate rate and makes them feel tired all the time so for me all of these things play into the fact that it's just a hugely better quality of life when you're not drinking Mm -hmm. and i think that's the thing and i think that's probably where you are when you actually sample that because a lot of people their approach to stopping drinking is, um, I don't want to do it, but I know I ought to. Either it's getting out of hand or it's expensive or whatever the reasons. I enjoy drinking. I don't want to stop, but I have to do it. And I think the real eye-opener, if you stop and stop properly and stop for long enough, is Mm -hmm. you're far better off having stopped. And it's just such a better quality of life. And what people stop for is not because they enjoy drinking but they want to live an extra 10 years it's Mm. because life is so much better when you're Mm. rested you're happy it just plays into it and one of the biggest things of course is your your mental health is better anyway because when you're not interfere constantly interfering with the chemical balance in your mind you just feel much more mentally resilient just able to deal with problems Mm-hmm. So I, I think really that's the key. And as I say, that's what people refer to as the sort of the, the great secret of sob- sobriety. Mm. People stay, people may initially stop because they feel they ought to. But the thing that keeps people stopped is they start to realize how much better life is when you've stopped. And I think, uh, as you say, people sometimes say, well, I'm going to take a break from alcohol. Uh, and then they stop for a week or they stop for 10 days or they stop for 14 days. Um, but there's something about going a little bit longer uh, and just being sober for a long period of time where 
your body's actually to get in, uh, as you said earlier, homeostasis and, and be in balance. The book has re-examined my view of alcohol. I actually don't think of alcohol as uh, its initial uh, relaxation anymore. I actually think of it as as um, anxiety juice. That's my view of it. So I said, if, it's like, do I want some anxiety juice? No, I don't. I don't want to feel like that. So that's my mindset now. Um, and I want to encourage everybody to pick up this book, Alcohol Explained by William Porter. There's no other book really like it on the market where it in lay person terms explains uh, what the actual drug of alcohol is. And uh, it's laid out beautifully. Uh, you can go to all the table of contents and the chapters and talk about particular aspects of it, whether it be alcohol and fitness, blackouts, um, emotions, the limbic system, cravings, uh, the subconscious, um, how to stop. Every he also covers alcohol, anonymous, uh, and stopping cold turkey. So it's an excellent book. Um, William also has some additional books out as well on fitness, uh, diet and fitness explained, as well as nicotine explained. William, thank you so much for doing this interview. Um, you've done uh, great work in doing the research and then um, translating that to um, people, the average Joe, if you will, or, or Jane. So thank I appreciate you. it. Thank you for asking me. It's been a pleasure. That's it. Thank you, William. Follow us on Instagram. My name is Alex. My handle is at dalexsimon. You can find us by searching Retired Bros on Spotify or Anchor, wherever you may be listening. Thank you. And that's it. Let's hit the bump music. See you next time.